My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, what we have here in our parable this morning, frankly, are two pretty miserable characters. Both are right and both are wrong, but for different reasons and on different ends of the spectrum. Huh? The Pharisee is right about his living. He's diligent about his spirituality, apparently hyper-diligent, fasting even twice a week, which was way more than anything suggested in the law. His generosity in tithing is unmatched. He's no thief. He's no common criminal, faithful in his relationship with his spouse. Sounds kind of like he's doing it right, you know? Sounds like he's doing it well living his life, but he's wrong. He's wrong the second he starts comparing himself with other folks, looking down on others who, through whom he regards the Holy Spirit of God to not be working, at least not working nearly as palpably as the Spirit works through him. His utter lack of humility towards God, his lack of grace towards other people, is what has him wrong in his prayers. Right in his living, wrong in his prayers. The tax collector, on the other hand, is dead wrong in his life. Choosing to make a living by collecting taxes from his fellow Judeans on behalf of the Roman occupying force. And he made his money by actually charging more than the apportionment that the Romans were demanding making him a thief and a traitor in the eyes of his neighbors. He's kind of like the collector for the local mafia kingpin, right? Nothing much to admire in this guy's behavior. Nothing much to hold up as admirable. But he's right in his prayer. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Not necessarily right in expecting mercy, but right in his self-assessment sinner. Both are right, both are wrong. Which leads me then to ask the question, which of these two deserves to be in the presence of the divine in his sanctuary? Hmm? The answer, of course, is neither, right? Neither of them deserve to be there in the temple, but both belong there. You see, too often I think we're given to read the Pharisee as some sort of villain in this parable simply because he kind of sounds like a self-righteous jerk. <laughs> and nobody likes a self-righteous jerk. You can't stand to be around a person like that for very long. We've all known them, right? Always looking down, making you feel a little bit less than. And frankly, to be around such a person is just tiring. It's exhausting, you know? But what if... What if this Pharisee's judgmental attitude here is reserved for his most intimate prayers in the quietness of his self-righteous little heart? What if all we know about him is what we see him do? Huh? And what he does are, frankly, some pretty good things. Maybe we'd recruit him to be on the congregation's church council, right? Or be a group guide, or at least the stewardship leader, or maybe teach from Sunday school? I don't know. And if he's new to our 
fellowship, we'd certainly want to get his name on that potential new member list pronto, right? Because it looks like he's doing it right. In the midst of his wrong, miserable, self-adulating prayer, though, perhaps I wonder if the Lord didn't look at him and love him. Kind of like he looked at that rich young ruler who came up to him one day saying, you know, I've kept all the commandments. Now what do I need to do to follow you? And he said, well, that's easy. Just go sell everything that you have. Come and follow me. Then you'll have the kingdom, right? And he couldn't because he went away sad. I don't think Jesus stopped loving that rich young ruler because he went away sad, and neither do I think he stopped loving the Pharisee because he went away proud. And hearing that the tax collector went down from the temple justified in this parable, put right with God seemingly because of his humble plea for mercy. Well, with him, we're still kind of left wondering. We're left wondering about his follow-through, right? This tax collector never utters one word, frankly, about changing his behavior. Did he? We're looking for a new career? Like, you know, anything other than extorting his neighbors? No. And just like in every other parable of grace that Jesus tells, he never gives us one word about repentant behavior. We never learn if the lost sheep that God found stays in the fold. We never learn if the prodigal son on returning home, becomes a genuinely reformed, born-again ranch hand, right? We never hear if those hired last to work in the vineyard were grateful for their windfall. Nope. Neither deserves, that's my point, neither deserves, but both belong because both of them are children of the Most High God who is always and forever interested in redeeming what belongs to Him. And maybe that is what we're supposed to hear in this story. The psalm appointed for this day, on which we hear the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, of course, is the 84th psalm. A song most likely sung by would-be worshipers as they kind of wound their way up towards the temple in Jerusalem. It's a song of praise for the temple, the courts of the Lord, and about this kind of overwhelming sense of delight in just being in the presence of divine. Even the sparrow finds a home here, the psalmist sing. The swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. I want you to picture the ancient temple, a huge structure, very unlike, really, this building in which we gather this morning. It might have had doors on it, but it certainly didn't have any glass windows, right? It just had open spaces to let in the sun and the rain and the wind and whatever else might be let in. And apparently, even birds would take advantage of some pretty sweet nesting opportunities there within the temple, in that holy space near the altars of the Lord. Did they deserve to be there? Probably not. Maybe a little more so than the people, <laughs> who came in the temple. But according to the psalmist, deserving or not, apparently they belonged there as God's beloved. It puts me in mind of the 12th chapter of 
Luke's gospel where Luke records Jesus telling his disciples, consider the ravens. Think about them. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't build storehouses or barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And if God cares for them, God cares for you. If they belong, you belong too. In a church I served back in Minnesota, it wasn't the swallows or the sparrows, it was the pigeons. Roosting in the bell tower. We had screens up on each of the four sides of the bell tower at the top. But those screens were given to tearing. And whenever they would tear, the pigeons would find that as a great opportunity to come in and roost up there. And we never did too much about it. Um, we figured, you know, if they could abide the ringing of those bells at least once a week, you know, they were welcome to stay there until the pigeon leavings got to be a little bit uh, burdensome. Then we'd go up, we'd clean it out, we'd repair the screens, and then the screens would eventually rip and the whole cycle would start all over again, right? But we also had little rats with fangs and wings, more commonly known as bats, all right? And being the nocturnal creatures they were, we'd usually only run into them at night and usually only in the summer when they weren't hibernating. Living next door to the church as I did, I uh, frequently tag-teamed with the custodian on these late-night bat-catching expeditions, armed only with our large butterfly nets and our tennis rackets, running through the sanctuary in the hallways looking like a couple of idiots. And then when we managed to catch one, right, we'd take it outside and we'd let it go. Because when you live in a state where the state bird is the mosquito, you safeguard the life of every bat you can, even though you knew that bat was probably going to fly around and then find its way back to whatever hole it found its way into the sanctuary in the first place. On the flip side, I don't ever remember getting bit by a mosquito in that sanctuary. But to this day, whenever I read Psalm 84, I think about the bats at Trinity Lutheran Church making their nest there somewhere over the altar of the Lord. And I think of our two characters in Jesus' parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector, none deserving to be in such close proximity to the holy, and yet each belonging there as creatures loved by a God who would see them justified, who would see them put right by simply asking for that which they can't arrange for on their own. Psalm 84 gives us a couple of the most beautiful verses in the whole Bible, reminding us that as we come into God's presence in worship, we should acknowledge where our life is found. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, which is the valley of tears, in other words, as they go through all of the ups and downs of this life, they make it a place of spring they go from strength to strength. They, we, are able to do that, to go from strength to strength because it ain't our own strength and our own performance or our own ability to be deserving that determines our worth to the one who made us and who loves us. The right prayer is the one prayed by those who know they need mercy 
precisely because they do not deserve it, and yet they have this hope inside of them, this hope of belonging, just the same. The proud Pharisee did not deserve to be in that holy space. Neither did the tax collector. And here's the worst-kept secret of all. Neither do you, and neither do I. And yet here we are, just the same, trusting that our prayers for mercy are heard because Jesus says we belong here. And that's enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.